Let's pray. Father, we are grateful again for your word. And we ask you to give us ears to hear your word and hearts to receive it. So that we may learn what you would have us to learn and do what you would have us to do. We ask this in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Our first Peter passage today begins with the encouragement, we might even say the command, to grow up. And this is not an insult. He's not insulting the people he's writing to. Nor is he just writing to those who are new in the faith. So those of us who have been Christians for a long time need not hear this and say, oh, that's for those who have just become Christians. In fact, I think I've found that those who have known Christ for a long time hear this command to grow up and think, they say, yeah, that's right. That's what I need. That's what I long for. To continue to grow up in the faith. Whereas often those who have not grown up are not as mature in the faith are the ones who find it a little bit more insulting. But Peter is not insulting us. He's telling us all, the, all of God's people continue to grow in the faith. We are to set aside malice, resentment, desire for harm to come to those we don't like. We're to set aside guile, craftiness, insincerity, envy or slander. The normal gossip takes pl- that taking place amongst the church. The prayer request for brother so-and-so who has this problem with sin. These things hinder our growing up in the faith. And Peter says we are to long for the pure spiritual milk. That which fuels, what Peter will say, fuels our growth into salvation. We are to grow into salvation, Peter says. He is here echoing St. Paul's command in, the, in Philippians to work out your salvation in fear and trembling. A reminder that our salvation is not a get into heaven free card that we can stick in our back pocket and therefore we leave, we go about our merry way. We are to grow up into the fullness and maturity of the honor and the responsibility of what God is doing in our lives and in the world. It is a continual growth and maturation. We are, to grow, we are not to live as Christians, as entitled youth, taking from salvation what we want or what suits our lives. Peter follows this encouragement in the next few verses, his encouragement to grow up, with a closer look at what it is we are growing up into. And he does so by giving us a whole raft of images or metaphors of what God is doing in our life, what He has done, is doing, and will do in our lives through Christ. 
He speaks of us and of Christ as a stone, as a spiritual house, as a temple. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And moving into verse 10, indirectly he speaks of us as being a bride or family. And frankly, he takes all these images and metaphors and just throws them all together. It's, it's a mashup of metaphors and images that it's, it's a little bit hard at times to follow exactly what he's doing. The most obvious connection between them is the fact that they are all quotations from the Old Testament, or what we would call the Old Testament. He would just call it Scripture. He, he grabs a whole bunch of images from the... It's as if he was challenged. Is this someone challenged Peter? Give me an image, a metaphor of what Christ is and what God is doing from Scripture. And he says, all right, I'll just reach back and just grab a whole bunch of them. Reach into the bag of metaphors. I'll just grab a, a whole handful of them and see what we got. You want something from the Torah, from the Pentateuch? Well, I'll give you something from Exodus 19. You want some from, from the writings, the Psalms? Well, how about some quotations from Psalm 8, 118? You want something from the prophets? Well, I'll give you Isaiah 8, Isaiah 28, Isaiah 43. And for good measure, I'll throw in some from the minor prophets, Hosea 2 and Malachi 3. And in just a few verses, I will just cram as much of these Old Testament images as I can to tell you what God is doing in your life and what He's making you to be through Christ. Perhaps this is an indication that growth and maturity involves learning and submitting to Scripture. As he tells us to grow up and long for this pure spiritual word or milk, he then gives us Scripture and says, this is what Scripture tells you you are. Perhaps it is an indication that growth and maturity involves learning and submitting to Scripture. It is certainly an indication that the, that the church has a close, close bond with the children of Israel, with God's covenant people from the Old Testament. And we are to learn from what God has told them. For all of these things God says we are as the church were originally promises made or images given to the children of Israel in the Old Testament. And one of the things that we learn from God's relationship with Israel and that is carried on through the images we find here in 1 Peter is the great honor and the great responsibility that comes with being God's covenant people. Peter wants us to know and feel both of those things. And so I want to speak just for a few minutes about the honor and responsibility of being God's covenant people. I recently, someone had given me a book, knowing that, that some of us had read the book Endurance uh, a couple years ago. Uh, someone recently gave me another book about yet another Arctic exploration that lo and behold, ended in a similar fashion as Shackleton's. It seems that 
100 years or so ago, uh, you were nobody unless you had watched your ship crushed by polar ice and sunk before your eyes and then spent the next month, several months wandering about on top of a frozen ocean, gradually starving as you rationed your pemmican and seal blubber. That is what happened in, in 100 years ago. But it is fascinating to read the stories of leadership in these times. This was an Arctic exploration, and largely what the book consisted of was information gleaned from men's journals who were on this exploration. And one of the things I noted multiple times was the honor that many of the men felt and recognized when the captain, the leader, gave them special attention, gave them responsibilities. They would write about how honored they were. The captain took me aside and told me this thing about what was happening, about what I was doing. The captain took me aside and said, I need you to do this task for me. And they would talk about how honored they were to have the captain say this. And, and we, we feel this. When someone we really respect, someone who is great, someone who we think is, is beyond us, gives us attention, knows our name, says, I think you're suited for this responsibility. We feel that as a great honor. And we should. How much more when the God who made heaven and earth looks at us and says, you are part of my plan. You are part of my family. I have things for you to do. What an honor. And we should feel it as such. Paul says, if I'm going to boast about anything... I'm going to boast in the cross. What does that mean? I'm going to boast in the fact that Christ has died for me and brought me into God's family. That's the only thing that matters to me. That is the only honor, true honor, that I can feel, that I can know. It sounds preposterous, yet the Bible goes to great lengths to tell us that God loves us, that he brings us into his family, and that he says, I have a place for you. I have a role for you to play. And we should feel that as a great honor. Listen again to verse 4. As you come to him, Christ, a living stone, Christ is his living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. You know, one of those honors is to be mentioned. You know, we say, I'm mentioned in the same breath. In sports, you might say, that player plays with the tenacity of Michael Jordan or with the skill of a Kobe Bryant, right? Or he's talented like LeBron. And that player would say, what an honor just to be mentioned in the same breath. To be mentioned in the same breath of this great person. That is what Peter is doing. He's mentioning us in the same breath as Christ. He's the living stone. 
He's the living stone. And you, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual temple. That should be ever, ever close to our mind. You know how when we receive some little earthly honor, I don't know if you do this, I've been known to do this, to find a way to work that into every conversation for the next two, three months, somehow it is applicable to every conversation I have in life to mention that I had received some sort of honor. Maybe this should work itself into our conversations as well. The fact that we have been so honored by God to be made a living stone like Christ, made into the spiritual temple of God. The place where God deems it right to make His earthly home in us. For he says, you are my temple. You're a holy priesthood, he said. You're not only a temple. You're not only a temple. You're the priests in the temple who are making the sacrifices here on earth. Built up on Christ. And he goes on. It just keeps going. You're a chosen race. As he had chosen Abraham, now we are grafted into this people. Once again, you're a royal priesthood, he will say. A holy nation. A people for God's own possession. And Peter says in verse 7, So this honor is for you. This honor is for you who believe. He closes, he closes this sort of gush of Old Testament references and images with a quotation from Hosea chapter number 2. Once you were no people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Hosea, if you can remember this, Hosea is, is, is an interesting book in the Bible. Hosea is a prophet whom God is, tells Hosea, I want you to go marry a prostitute. Take her for your wife and have children with her. She's going to be unfaithful to you, but I want you to marry her and have children with her. And they have children. And one of the children they name, not loved. No mercy. The translation could either not loved or no mercy. And God says, this is because... My people have been unfaithful to me, and I will not show them mercy. I will not show them my love. They have another child, and the name, the literal name this child receives is not my people. Not loved, no mercy, and not my people. God says, because of your sin, you are not now my people. The wife leaves God says, go to Hosea, go buy her back, go get her back. In the process of doing this, he's saying, this is what my people have done. They have left me, and they are not receiving mercy, and they are now not my people, but I will promise you, as you go get your wife, so I will bring my people back. And he says, 
to the one who is named no mercy, I will show mercy. And to the one who is not my people, I will make my people. Showing that God does not bestow this honor upon us because he looks down and finds the best and brightest, but because he is a merciful God. And he says, I'm bringing you to me and I'm honoring you by making you part of my family. It is a renaming. There are some things too big for us to see, too glorious to behold, and this may be one. But if we believe this to be true, then there is nothing, nothing more important than this fact. And we are to hold nothing in in a more honored spot, a more honored place than the fact that God has called us to himself. And he's made us, he is making us into what he has promised to make us. But these images do not just remind us of what God has done is doing so that we may feel special. We should. We should feel that as an honor and feel special. But it is not just to give us a good feeling. Peter fully intends to remind us of our responsibility as well. Not a responsibility so that we can earn mercy, but a responsibility because we have been given mercy And indeed, this is part of the honor. I said in in the book, one of the things that honored, these people felt honored most about is when the captain would say, I want you to do this. I want you to lead this expedition. I want you to be in charge of organizing the stores. And people would say, ah, he's given me something to do. What an honor. And so we should feel it as well. God doesn't just say, I'm making you my little child. You just be a little child. He says, you grow up and take responsibility. I will mention, I will pull out one of these images, not at random, but because it is mentioned twice and because it is something that I get asked about a lot in Protestant circles. But I will pick this one just to exemplify the responsibility that all these images carry. Peter says that we are a holy, both a holy and a royal priesthood. Now, often in Protestant circles, um, as a, when people ask, TJ, what do you, what do you call yourself? Um, often they say, do you call yourself a pastor? Or, and they don't want to say, the next thing, right? The pastor or, and they wait for me to say, a priest. And they, yeah, do you call yourself that? Right? Um, and depending on where I'm at, uh, if they want to leave it at pastor, I'm fine with that. And so, in some case, that is a confusion of terms. The word priest simply comes from the word presbyteros, the presbyter, meaning elder. So that's the root of the word priest which is a very biblical term and a very biblical position. Um, But it's also not the term that is used here that Peter's talking about in Peter 1. Churches that uh, use the term priest for their ordained ministers also fully believe in what we would call the priesthood of all believers. We do believe that to be true. 
But they do not believe, because the Bible doesn't teach it, that all believers can take on whatever ministerial role they decide to take on for themselves. There, are, there is priesthood, there's an ordained ministry in the church, and then there is the priesthood of all believers. In our passage here, Peter is quoting from Exodus 19. And in Exodus 19, God has called all of his people. He's making a covenant with all of Israel. And they come to Mount Sinai and they are sprinkled with blood of the sacrifice, which is, a, which is what happens in an ordination, in the ordination to the priesthood. And he looks at all of Israel and says, You are to me a kingdom of priests. You are my kingdom of priests, meaning you are to represent me to the entire world. You are to be my people, showing who I am to the entire world. And then just after that, he institutes another priesthood in Aaron and his sons. And in this priestly ministry, through Aaron and his sons, their ministry is less to the entire world. Their ministry is to the people of God, the covenant people of God. It is their role to protect and continue the sacrifices and the rhythms of worship, to teach the truth of God to God's people, and to remind them of their responsibilities as God's people. And these roles still exist in God's people, the church. My ministry is to the church. My ministry is to protect and continue the sacraments, the rhythm of worship in the church, and to instruct the truth of God to God's people. And like Peter is doing in this passage, to remind you, the church, of your responsibility. One of which is to be a priest to the nations. To be a priest representing God to those who do not know him. Peter says that, once again, you are a chosen race, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, God's own people that we may declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. To whom are we to declare it? We may declare it to ourselves, but all of the letter, the entire letter of 1 Peter is telling us we are to declare that to those who still walk in darkness. Just a couple verses later, Peter will say, maintain good conduct among the Gentiles, the unbelievers, so they may see your good works and glorify God in the day of visitation. Like the children of Israel, we are given the responsibility, the honor and the responsibility to take God to a world that does not know Him. We are to do this by keeping ourselves pure and holy as God is pure and holy. Peter just told us, right, a few verses earlier, that we are to be holy. God is making us holy to represent Him well to the world we are to sacrifice ourselves to help the needy, the afflicted, the oppressed, to meet the physical and spiritual needs of the world. And in keeping ourselves pure and holy and in sacrificing ourselves to help those in need, we represent to the world the goodness of God who gave himself to us, the Holy One who gave himself for a sinful world. So we represent that God is good. We are to be careful to worship God well together. 
What we are doing now is not a light or menial thing. It is an important part of God's work. And it is not just my work, it is your work as well. And so in doing, as we do it well together, we represent to the world the beauty of God that we were all intended to see when God created this universe as a temple that is to express His worship. So we continue that worship. We continue the beauty of that worship that was intended from the beginning as we gather together. We are to hold fast to and affirm before the world the truth of who God is. And it is here often that in some corners of the church, people will say, well, that's kind of the role of the ordained minister. They're the ones that are supposed to know the truth. They're the ones that are supposed to affirm and hold to that. Poor old fathers Phil and TJ who potter about, sticking their nose into things like creeds and truths and doctrines. Let them go do their thing. We'll get on with living real life out here. It is certainly true that ordained ministers are to take great care to know the truths revealed about God and to instruct and correct the church. But affirming and committing ourselves to the God who has revealed Himself is not just our role. All who are called by His name are to know what that name is, to know what that name represents. To the best of our ability, to the best of the ability that God has given us a mind, we are to know Him. We are to pursue that knowledge of Him. And in our baptisms, in our confirmations, and indeed every Sunday when we get together and we proclaim the creed, Together, we are making a vow to affirm that, to state this is true, not just for ourselves, but for the world. And so when we hear lies about God, that which is not true of Him, we are to lovingly say, no, that's not who God is. That is not the God who has so honored us to bring us into our family. We should not say those things about Him. Because we affirm to the world the truths that we proclaim together in the creeds that we see in Scripture. It was not just ordained clergy that Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 2. God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this He called you through our gospel. So then stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. All the church is to hold fast to those traditions. And we are to do that not just for our own sake, but for the sake of the world. It's our responsibility. So it comes from being a priest. And you are all priests to the world. 
We are honored, and with that honor comes responsibility. It's hard for me to hear this or to say this without thinking of my, my own father, not just my heavenly father, but my earthly father as well, who loves, loved and loves his sons unconditionally. I am never been a day in my life where I have not known that my father loves me. No matter what I have done or said, I've known he loved me. Even in my worst moments, I knew he loved me. But part of his love for me was letting me know that he had expectations for me. And I cannot tell you how many times he sat his sons down and said, you are a part of this family. You carry this name, and that is an incredible honor. It is a great thing to carry this name. It's a good thing to carry this name. But I want you to feel the weight of the responsibility that comes with it. You represent your entire family. There is a weight that comes with that. There's a responsibility that comes with that. And I expect you to carry that weight well. And I have, and I have never forgotten that. And this is what Peter is telling us here. You have been brought into God's family. That is such a wonderful honor. And there is a weight of responsibility that comes with that. Don't forget that. It is not a crushing weight. I can tell you it is not a crushing weight. It is not the weight of saving the world. That's the weight that falls on God's shoulders. It is not my responsibility to save the world. It is my responsibility to represent God to the world. And God, Jesus says, you do that with me. It's a burden. It is a burden. But my burden is light because I'm doing it with you. You partner with me. Feel that honor. Be honored in it. Work that honor into your conversations because it's a great thing. But also feel the responsibility that comes with being a priest. A priest of God to the world. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.